Zechariah chapter 12. We're going through the book of Daniel. I've been thoroughly enjoying going through the book of Daniel, and we're going to continue to do so. But based on current events and recent things that are happening in the Middle East, I thought it was imperative. Uh, I thought it would be unprecedented for me to, <laughs> buzzword of the, of the day, to uh, go ahead and draw our attention to what's going on in the Middle East. So in Zechariah, this is a future prophecy, not yet fulfilled, but I want to draw our attention to it from the standpoint that, that Jerusalem is this heavy weight, this burden, this inescapable city that will show up at the last days that the nations of the world won't know how to deal with it. It's going to be such a burden that the United Nations, um, NATO, if you will, all the superpowers, the intellectual giants of the day, the philosophers, the religious leaders, they're not going to know how to deal with this anomalous city called Jerusalem. To me, the fact that Jerusalem is still on the map is a miracle. I mean, when you go there to Jerusalem, they say it's been destroyed and built and destroyed and built. There's so many layers to Jerusalem because it's been decimated so many different times by so many different people groups and cultures and different eras and different geopolitical um, dynamics and, and history gone past, but this ancient city that God himself links himself to until the, till the end of the age, until the, the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, until Jesus comes back, takes the, the throne of David in Jerusalem, by the way, he enters at the eastern side on the Mount of Olives, his feet come down on planet earth on the second coming, not the rapture that could happen at any moment, but when he comes the second time, to establish his rule and reign, and he kicks the Antichrist out of the rebuilt temple, the third temple that hasn't been built yet, by the way, so we can kind of calm down right there. Jerusalem is going to remain in the headlines, in the forefront. It's going to be kind of like this burden that's hanging around all of the world. Not Paris, not San Francisco, not New York, not Prague, not London, uh, not um, Moscow, but Jerusalem. So he says in Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the peoples around. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all peoples, all nations, all people, the whole world. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. So as you know, last Saturday, October 6th, was the 50th anniversary from 1973 um, from the Yom Kippur War when Israel was caught off guard by enemies from the south, Egypt, enemies of the north, Syria, and other Arab uh, alliances that 
swore to wipe Israel, this young nation that just rebirthed itself in 1948, only having been in the land for you know, less than 20 years, they thought, well, let's go and wipe them out before they become something bigger and stronger. And so they thought on this holy holiday that they would uh, catch them off guard. Similar to what happened last Saturday on the same exact holiday, 50 years to the date, it's like these terrorists love anniversaries. But they thought, well, hey, let's, let's catch Israel off guard. Now, leading up to what just happened recently, you had the Abrahamic Accords that uh, was kind of uh, orchestrated, and the architecture behind that would have been uh, President Trump and his cabinet members and things like that, and President Biden has kind of taken it from there. And of course, you know, I don't want to get political because there's a lot of botched things that have gone on, like Afghanistan and billions of dollars of weapons and aid that's just left behind or given to terrorist nations. And it's just, just a huge mess. But it seemed like the way things were going in the Middle East, shaping up with the, the Abrahamic Accord and with this alliance with Saudi Arabia, which is basically the first world nation of the Middle East. They're the richest, they're kind of the crown jewel, they're kind of the envy, they have all the oil, you know, they're, and their new crown prince is kind of modern. He's the guy that's, you know, wants to create the city called Neom and westernize everyone. And he's thinking like, I don't know if we could live off of oil forever. We, we want to start thinking about peace and tourism and other sort of um, uh, ways to grow our, our GDP, our gross domestic product. and. And how can we um, kind of integrate into the world? Well, Iran, which is former Persia, that when they, when they came in and they took over the Persian people that spoke Farsi, and they weren't Muslim, but they made them convert. Many fled uh, uh, Iran, but they became uh, a Muslim network in their doctrine and covenant is sworn to the annihilation and destruction of Israel. They're a group of Muslims that is not friendly with the Saudi Arabia group of Muslims, because there's the Shia and the Sunnis, and there's a lot of infighting. Stuff that I don't know. I'm not an expert on the Middle East, but I do know that these groups, even though they name the name of Allah, and they read the Quran and they believe in multiple wives, and killing infidels, and all that kind of stuff, the really great religion of Islam, they don't get along. Odd, right? So, Iran, being a nuclear power, wants to uh, wipe Israel off the map, but they also don't want Saudi Arabia to prosper. Saudi Arabia evidently was striking a behind-the-scenes deal with America that if you give us nuclear capabilities, we will only use it in defense against our, against our sovereignty and safety against Iran, who has become our enemy. And we will not use this nuclear weapons in any sort of offensive, threatening way, only defensive towards Israel or any of your American allies. In exchange for nuclear capabilities, we will give you indefinitely lower gas prices. Well, sound like a good deal, right? Iran knew about this, and so right when this deal was about to be struck, surprise, surprise, this war broke out. There hasn't been a war. There's been skirmishes, of course, but there hasn't been a war like this um, in years and years and years and years and years. 
And most people are saying there hasn't been this concentrated amount of casualties, and we're talking babies, men, women, children, innocent Israelis in their kibbutz at concerts, uh, or one concert in particular, just living their lives in southern Israel, just totally defenseless, caught off guard, and there's a lot of arguments about how could that have happened, and they'll investigate after this war is over. But needless to say, the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of innocent lives taken, including up to 29 Americans, 27 Americans, including the hostages that are Americans, and the 150 plus uh, hostages that are back inside of Gaza, triggered this war. But another part of the deal with Saudi Arabia, surprise, was going to be Jerusalem. One of the conditions since 1967 when Israel retook Jerusalem back for their, for their own, which was another war, they kind of made a back step and they partitioned it to where the Muslims could have that. You've seen that blue, it's iconic, right? The blue mosque with the golden uh, dome. It's called the Dome of the Rock. You guys have seen it or been there or whatever. I've had the privilege of being there and it's, it's very different from when you go on the Muslim side to the Jewish side. Uh, different feel, different atmosphere. Um, but that is the disputed, it's the most disputed piece of property on the planet. Let's just put it that way. It's the most disputed piece of real estate on the planet. And if, and if Israel was to broker this normalization deal with Saudi Arabia, somehow the, the king uh, of Jordan, who's been kind of given stewardship over that portion of Jerusalem where the Temple Mount is, uh, was going to broker some deal to allow this rebuilding of a temple. Now, temple. Uh, we talked about this in Sunday school a little bit. Um, there's not a third temple. There's plans to build a third temple. There's a reinstated Levitical Aaronic priesthood already. Uh, when, even when I was there years ago, they had the golden menorah. It's right there, actually, right by the Wailing Wall in a bulletproof glass case where you can see it. It's huge. It's huge. Um, they have the golden lampstand. They have the altar, uh, or they have the table of showbread, the, the altar of incense. They have all the furniture, all the clothing. What they didn't have was this red heifer. According to Leviticus, you need to have a red heifer, and it needs to come to a certain point of maturation or maturity to where, and, and by the way, just the timing, they're, they're less than a year from the red heifers. They have five of them. Three, I think, two or three are in an undisclosed location because they know the, the height of security around a red heifer. This is so crazy. <laughs> Guard the red heifer. <laughs> Can you imagine red heifers wearing like bullet? Kevlar red heifer vests and stuff like that. Well, they, when it comes to full maturation, they're going to slaughter the red heifer, burn it, mix it with water, take the ashes, and then cleanse, because you've got to think from the Jewish mindset, if you're a Gentile, you're unclean. And they don't think the Muslims are Jews, therefore they're, the Muslims are Gentiles, and remember, Jesus said, it's going to be until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So the times of the Gentiles have been occupying this holy of holy site, which to the Jews, they're looking for a Messiah to come. To the Christian, you are the holy of holies because Christ is in you. You are the temple. We're not waiting for a temple. They are. 
you're the temple of God. But they think if we if we do the, if we sprinkle the ashes and we cleanse it and we we prepare the, the place, now we could start rebuilding and then we could implement our um, Levitical priesthood and start the sacrificial system because they don't believe Jesus was the Lamb of God to come to take away the sin of the world. So they're going to reinstitute blood sacrifices to to start to get their sins atoned for. Remember Jesus said, sacrifice and offerings, I would not. I just don't want it. But yet they're heading in that direction, and it seems like an unstoppable force heading in that direction. Jerusalem, a cup of trembling, a burdensome stone hanging around the neck of the nations. So when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, as he often did, ministered in Jerusalem, especially the last four days leading up to Nisan 14 when he was crucified, but he went into town on Nisan 10, which is not ironic, it's not coincidental. That's exactly when on the Passover the, the nation of Israel would take out a lamb and observe it for four days to see if there's any spot or blemish, and then they would kill it on Nisan 14. Jesus rode in, they hailed him as the king uh, on Nisan 10, and then he was being questioned. Who are we supposed to pay taxes to, Jesus? Uh, whose wife is he in the resurrection if, you know, he's, uh, she's had five husbands and they're all brothers? Uh, what about this, Jesus? What about this, Jesus? And he answered and answered and answered and answered correctly, proving he's without sin, without spot, without blemish. He is the lamb. And then they killed him, not for anything that he did, but for who he said he was. He said, I am the son of God. And they said, blasphemy, you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Kill him, crucify him. Give us Barnabas or Barabbas instead, which is a picture of us. You know, we're the sinners that deserve to die, but Jesus exchanged our life for his, the innocent for the guilty. And he took the sins of the world upon himself, and he died in our place, and he was buried. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. But before he did that, he was sitting at the temple, the very same place where you could go to today as a tourist. Of course, they're canceling all flights. You can't go there because they're in a time of war. But the apostles came to Jesus and they said, they had three questions. When will the temple fall? What will be the sign of the end of the age? And what will be the sign of Jesus' return? Give us this information, Jesus. And you can read about this in Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21. But I'm just going to pull out Luke 21 because Jesus made a short-term prophecy prediction that came to pass. And in Luke chapter 21 and verse 5, some of them spoke in the temple how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts. And this is when it was still a temple, even though they were under Roman occupation. He said, as to these things which you see and the questions that they were asking, Days will come which there will not be left uh, one stone upon another which will not be overthrown, which shall not be uh, thrown down. In other words, they're sitting there in the beautiful Temple Mount area with the temple erected in, in its beauty and architecture uh, and splendor. And they're sitting there and it's the place where, you know, the Ark of the Covenant was there. All the gold, all the furniture, all of it was there. And the Romans allowed the Jews to continue the sacrificial Levitical priesthood uh, system. 
And then Jesus sitting there as the Lamb, as the high priest, as the temple himself, sitting there. Because it's not about the place of worship, it's about the person of worship. God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands and buildings made with hands. He's not impressed with the architecture. They are, and they asked him this, and then Jesus said, this is all going to be taken down. It's all the beauty, the splendor, the years. Remember Jesus said, destroy this temple three days again, I'll build it up. And they said, it's taken us 45 years or 47 years to build this. What do you mean you're going to build it up? And he spoke about the temple of his body. So Jesus is like, even though he gave them the original architectural blueprints of what he wanted as a sack, it was only temporary at best. And he's reiterating the fact of how temporary it is when he says, this is all going to be torn down. So, in the next slide, in 70 AD, when Titus came with the Roman troops, he besieged Jerusalem, killed 1.1 million Jews, and carried away the remaining 97,000 as captive. Israel ceased to be a nation. They were carried away captive into all nations, and the prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled. Because he also said that you're going to be scattered, and you're going to be dispersed in the, all the four corners of the earth, and you're going to be trodden down of the, of, by the Gentiles, and you're going to find yourself in foreign countries. Let me just tell you something. Synagogues were never invented by God or the Bible. Synagogues were an invention by the Jews, and I'm not saying they're bad because Jesus went to the synagogue, but you never see God authorizing a synagogue. A synagogue was basically a place where the Jews said, hey, in our, in, when, as God disciplines us and we're scattered around outside of Israel, um, they would build synagogues to preserve their culture. They would read the Torah. They would teach people Hebrew. And so you'll see synagogues in different locations. There's synagogues all over. Um, there's synagogue right down the road from here. And, and the reason why is for the, that was the Jewish attempt to preserve their language and culture. So, Jews were scattered all over, all over the world, as Jesus said. But in May of 1948, I think it was May 14th, Israel became a nation again. And Jerusalem fell back into the hands of Israel once again in 1967 from yet another war. So for nearly 2,000 years from when Jesus said, they're going to destroy this temple, you're going to be scattered around the whole world, but I will bring you back. I will bring you back. Do you know the first nation to recognize Israel as a nation? The first nation on God's green earth to recognize Israel as a nation. Look, the United Nations is not a nation. <laughs> it's this weird, illegitimate organization that wants to impose world government on everyone. I don't trust them for a second. They first started with the League of Nations after World War I, then it became the United Nations after World War II. Who knows what's going to morph from here? But the first nation, look at this. This is sometimes, you could, you could get news clippings all over. This is um, May 15th, so the day after, May 14th, 1948, Chicago Daily Sun-Times. Its name is Israel, U.S.-recognized Jewish state. We've been allies and friends with them ever since. And I'm proud to support Israel. Is Israel, and as a Jewish nation, a God-fearing, God-believing people? No. Have you read the Bible? These are the, the Jewish nation are the same people that would 
also have their young sons and daughters sacrificed to the god of Molech. They were at one time cannibalistic under the most dire situations. They would adopt foreign gods and pagan practices. You, you read about them right after the Exodus, already engaged in sexual idolatrous orgies. I mean, even the, even the, the calling at the rave, I, I don't know if you saw the pictures of where the Palestinian terrorists were coming in on their hang gliders with their AK-47s and weapons to destroy. If you watch closely, everyone's like, you know, who knows what kind of drugs they're doing? And it was a, it was a, you know, a dance for peace, which is so ironic. It was this music festival based on peace, and right across this walled city are people that don't want peace. But yet, you got to think about it. As I was watching this video, I had to pause it, and I'm like, what kind of god is that? There's this statue that's as tall as this beam, sitting there with folded hands, and it looked like a Buddha. Uh, and I thought, isn't that ironic? I'm not saying this gives people the rights to slaughter innocent people at all. I just thought it was ironic on the Sabbath in this festival where they're unprotected. Who knows what kind of hallucinogenics, if they were. I don't know if they were trying to be good Jews during that day. I don't know. And there was a, like an international presence there from people from all over. It was kind of like the Middle East Burning Man. And I don't know if you'd endorse the Burning Man as a Jewish and Christian festival. <laughs> so as that's going on, and I'm not saying that that, that that gives them the right to be mercilessly slaughtered, but I, just, I did find it ironic. I'm just saying. I thought it was ironic that there was a, there was a golden statue uh, that wasn't God. And God forbids that. He, that's, like in the, that's the first few commandments of the Ten Commandments. Right there. So, this young, this young nation supports an ancient nation, America. This young eagle, let's call ourselves the eagle, so to speak. This rebellious little nation who defied the king of England for religious liberty. And we even put on our currency in America and God we trust was the first to recognize the miracle in the Middle East that for nearly 2,000 years, the Jews were, with, were without their homeland, and they came back. And I think the reason why they came back was obviously uh, a lot of sympathy to what happened to them in World War II from the Holocaust, where they, they lost six million. There's not a lot of Jews on the planet, by the way. And to lose six million, it seems like there was a, an attempt to eradicate this nation and this people that identifies with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So our nation, though, who sends out more Bibles and more missionaries than any other country in the world, was the first to recognize Israel as a nation in 1948. However, even though America, with the greatest military might on God's green earth, is there to help, even recently, I don't know if you saw this, the USS Gerald Ford, is, is that what it's called? It's the newest and the biggest aircraft carrier on the planet. It's parked right off in the Mediterranean, the, right off the coast of Israel. And so what America's saying, no matter what the president is, Democrat or Republican, we'll still side with, uh, with Israel. I was actually impressed with Schumer, Chuck Schumer, to be honest with you. I never thought I would say that. And I feel like I'm being played by saying this. But he, he kind of condemned, 
he was in China when the war broke out. He he really held the you know the who was the who's the, what do they call him the king the prime minister of China. He held him to the fire and said, "You did not come out against these terror attacks," and I think it's disgraceful. Um, but as politics will play out, the the left leaning people and the right leaning people. Probably the more the left-leaning people will turn on Israel eventually as this turns more into a humanitarian um, debacle rather than a survival for your nation's existence, fighting people that swore to annihilate you uh, from off the face of the earth, from off the map. Now, coming wars. Go to the slide that says coming wars. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6, this is a familiar passage. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And Jesus said, See that you be not troubled. Oh, easier said than done, Jesus. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And all these things are the beginnings of sorrows. You know, also, right when this war broke out in Israel, Right around the corner, Afghan, well, they're separated by Iraq, Iran, then Afghanistan, so a few countries over, but <clears throat> go to the next slide. They had one of their deadliest earthquakes, and I don't think many people caught this on the news because of all the, all the tragedy that was befalling uh, the, the poor, innocent people of Israel. I don't think we caught this, but they said one of the deadliest earthquakes that have happened in history and they're at 2,000, and when I, when I snapped this uh, article, they had another earthquake right after that, too. Where I, don't, I haven't followed up with that, but the first earthquake that hit wiped out 2,000 people in Afghanistan. And I'm not trying to connect dots here, but if a nation says it's one of our deadliest earthquakes that we've had, and Jesus said, you're going to hear of wars, Benjamin Netanyahu hasn't declared war in decades They've had skirmishes. They've had to put out small fires. This is an all-out war in the Middle East. Jesus said, you're going to hear of that. And oh, by the way, you're also going to, you're going to hear of earthquakes. I'm just saying, like, did you guys hear about this on October 7th in 2023? And who heard about this, this earthquake? A couple people, a few people? And evidently one last night. So... I'm not going to be, I, look, I'm not an earthquake quake cha chaser, <laughs> or remember that movie where there's the tornadoes? We've got sisters, they're, they're chasing the tornadoes, we've got sisters! <laughs> I'm not chasing earthquakes or tornadoes or, or whatever, I'm, I'm looking for Jesus Christ to come back, not for these signs, but Jesus says, you will see this stuff, you will see it. So we've all heard of prophetic, uh, the prophetic words of Jesus that there'll be wars and rumors and wars, and there has been. But when it comes to the nation of Israel and the geopolitical alliances that are forming against Israel in our lifetime, it's time to wake up and to smell the sulfur. Because if you were to read about these things, say, prior to 1948, it wouldn't make any sense, really. God had to bring back his people to this land, and Jerusalem would have to become the subject of debates 
it would be such a debated city that it would cause nations to consider nuclear reactions to this. I don't know if you know this, but Israel holds to this doctrine. Um, well, there's Masada, right? never again. But before, before Masada even happened, they didn't have this ability. Israel has nuclear capabilities. They are a nuclear superpower in the region. And they hold to this doctrine called the Samson Doctrine. And it's been said that Benjamin Netanyahu has been considering this if things got to that place. The Samson Doctrine is basically taken right out of the Old Testament, where Samson, a compromised, and Jews will say this about themselves. Yeah, Samson, he, he, you know, he went after wine, women, and song, and he got distracted, and uh, he got you know, worldly and paganized, and, and then God removed his blessing from him and his power from him, and then God in his grace, when Samson was blind and uh, bound, Samson prays, he said, God, give me power one last time to take down the Philistines, and then he was able to pull down the building, and it all collapsed, of course, it killed Samson, but it also killed all of the Philistine uh, royals and enemies at that time. So when Israel says we have what, what's called the Samson Doctrine, if they feel like they're going to be taken over again, and they already have this policy never again, Samson Doctrine. I don't think we're there yet, and I don't think they think they're there yet, but I want you to be aware that this is... Um, a possibility that they would even table this as an idea. So for any amateur or expert, I don't even consider myself in the minor leagues or I'm not even like a, like a third string prophecy student, but for any sort of amateur Bible, Bible study student or prophecy student or someone curious, these things that are going on, we don't want to sensationalize it or overreact, but God has gone on record and said, I'm going to bring my people back. Jesus said, I'm going to scatter you. The temple's going to be destroyed. We don't know when, but God said, I'll bring you back. Okay, so the, at the tail end of World War II, people were sympathetic towards the Jews. Yeah, they've gone through so much. Let's give them back their land. And they've been a persecuted people. Right when they got there, they faced another war. Right when they got there, they're barely like getting their luggage unpacked and they've faced a war. And so if, the, if Israel had never come back and Jerusalem had never been on their radar, you know, think, you know things might have just keep going on as it was. But as it is, here we find ourselves with Israel as a, as a nation in its homeland defending itself with nuclear capabilities and an ally called America and enemies called everyone around them. And so there's going to be some wars. The Bible talks about wars that are surrounding, that are going to come up to Israel that are potentially before the Great Tribulation War. And I don't know if you knew about some of these. Let's go to the next slide. Some of these wars include the Psalm 83 War. You could read about this. People have been writing about this for, for decades. The Psalm 83 War. And re really, if you look at it like an onion, Israel and Jerusalem at the core of it, it's just kind of this, these next layers around them, like Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, um, all these nations around them. Psalm 83. Um, God allows them to take them out, no big deal, kind of like Hamas. They're not a major threat at all, even though they did major damage. Um, Israel, maybe that's why they were so relaxed, because they're like, they're not a major threat. Um, 
Isaiah 17, as things are escalating in the south, things are also escalating in the north. In the north is another terrorist group called Hezbollah, uh, and they're primarily stationed in Syria and Lebanon, which is directly north. And there's the Gaza Strip, which is a, a disputed territory, which holds loads of gas, by the way, um, natural resources. But um, in Psalm, or I mean, in Isaiah 17, uh, God prophesies, and this could never have happened. That's why prophecy students are like, when is this going to happen? Israel had to be back in the land. And when you get to Isaiah 17, when it deals with Damascus, which is in the southern part of uh, Syria, uh, by the way, Damascus is this hub to where when Iran sends over weapons, and isn't it interesting too, like a lot of the weapons that were left behind after we left Afghanistan, or a lot of the weapons that we're sending to Ukraine are the same weapons that are being used against Israel. A lot of these weapons, they get funneled through Damascus. Damascus is one of the oldest cities in the entire world that's been inhabited for the last 5,000 years. Isn't it weird that God would... And, but incidentally, Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul. But God says there's going to come a time where Damascus is going to be a ruinous heap and it will never, ever, 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 ever be inhabited again. Well, Damascus is inhabited. So when, when you start to see things like that, incidentally, two days ago, Israel launched a strike in Damascus and took out both of their airports. Jesus said, when you see, start to see these things, pay attention. Like, I, do, I sound, I mean, do I sound crazy up here? Like, I'm not talking about um, Paris. I'm talking about an ancient city called Damascus that Israel, that's just a, a new reborn nation, had to defend itself because they have 150,000 precision rockets more destructive than the rockets that are lobbed at them from the south, and the Iron Dome has been doing good, but they can't defend against 150,000. So Israel said preemptively, let's take out the airport. We can't, we're going to be stretched too thin, and it's, and it's super cool that America's there, and they're parked right there, and they're saying, don't mess with them, if we don't pull us into this war. So Psalm 83, all the nations... No problem, Israel takes care of them. Isaiah 17, it, Israel could just flatten Damascus, and it will be flattened. It will be taken out if you believe the Bible. It's just going to be gone. One, one of the wars that we don't quite know about is the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. Gog and Magog. I coined them frenemies because... When, when God, we're not, this, the, the case of this study today is not, because we could spend a whole Sunday on just Gog and Magog. Actually, you'd have to back up to Isaiah 36. It's where you get the dead bones. And 37, Israel becomes a nation again. And then uh, 38, this Gog and Magog, Rosh, R-O-S-H, gets pulled into this war from the north. And if you look at Jerusalem, and you could use a straight-edge ruler, Moscow is, it's not like this, and it's not like this. Like, oh, it's kind of north. No, it's, due, it's directly due north, Moscow. This 
this great leader will be pulled down to Israel to fight a reluctant war that it doesn't really want to engage in. But isn't it interesting that Russia right now is grandstanding and trying to negotiate things and they're already invading Ukraine and they're calling Israel aggressors and they should have a ceasefire? What in the world kind of craziness is going on? So Russia is trying to tell Israel what they should and shouldn't do to defend themselves, which is so hypocritical and frustrating. But they are now allies with Iran and Turkey. They've never been allies before. Iran and Turkey, Turkey, Iran and Turkey are Islamic nations, but Russia's not. Russia's not Islamic. If anything, under Putin, he claims to be some sort of, you know, restoration of Orthodox Christianity, which, whatever. Um, and you think, well, like, what's the interest there? What? And, and they're coming down because the Bible uses the word booty um, because of the booty in Israel. You're like, what's, what kind of booty is in, in Israel? But this is like a domino effect. And before we get to looking at this a little bit, I want to show you some of the map of the Middle East because I could speak in, in, you know, in generalized terms, but as Job said, my eye has affected my heart. So let's kind of get a good look at this visually. Go to this, go to this map. So here's an overview, kind of what we're looking at. More zoomed out, and we're going to get more zoomed in. I know this is far away, but you kind of have to zoom out to see there's Russia, there's Jerusalem, due north. Well, maybe this map's a little, maybe the axis of the earth was spun a little bit. <laughs> there's Turkey, there's Syria, there's Lebanon, there's Jordan, there's Iraq, there's Iran, there's Afghanistan, where it just says AFGH, Saudi Arabia, uh, Qatar is that little place, Oman, Yemen, Sudan, and Egypt, now this is Africa over here, Ethiopia, actually becomes one of those allies as well in this um, Ezekiel war, Ezekiel 38. Um, as, as does uh, Libya, which you can't see, but Libya is right next to Egypt. It's not on this map. Go to the next map. Zooming in a little bit. So you kind of see Turkey, the ally of Iran, and then due north is Russia. Uh, Saudi Arabia, was, which is you know, kind of the crown jewel, the first world nation. They want to change everything. and they want to, It's called normalize. They want to normalize relationship with Israel. Um, Iran's like, heck no, we hate you and we hate them, this can't happen. So, Egypt, which shares the border with uh, Gaza and Israel, I thought for the, the longest time, like, dude, why is this Israel's responsibility? You know, Hamas is actually mentioned in the Bible. I mentioned this in Sunday school. Hamas in the Hebrew translates to violence. And the first place Hamas in Hebrew is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 7, where God's dealing with Noah and the flood, and he says there's going to be, the, the earth is full of Hamas, violence. And I just think it's ironic that Jesus said it'll be like the days of Noah when I come back. But needless to say, um, this whole region right here Everyone, even if you're a frenemy or sort of like a, yeah, we'll, we'll get along for a little bit, yeah. Um, the yellow piece of little tiny piece of real estate that's surrounded by Muslim, 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 
all of these nations that are surrounded Israel, if you want to get even more laser-focused, it's all about Jerusalem. <laughs> They're all like, we're coming to get you. <laughs> you could run, but you can't hide. Go to the next map. So zooming in a little bit more, you can see down on the bottom left of Israel is the little Gaza Strip. But Egypt shares the border, and it's like, dude, why don't you let these people... Because Hamas was... It started in 1920, actually. It was called the, the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood that changed itself to Hamas. And in 2005, you probably all heard of the history lately, Israel said, we don't want to govern it. You want this land? Go ahead. You govern it yourself. And even off the, the strip or the coast of Gaza, because they've got beautiful feature, beachfront property, is trillions of gallons of natural resources of gas that they could use for their own Palestinian people to build their own economy. They could have a self-sustaining economy like the West Bank. Okay, so the West Bank, I know this is like very geopolitical, but the West Bank in this white, that was given to the Palestinian Authority, which used to be the PLO under Yasser Arafat. Remember him, was a, he was a terrorist. And he tried, he tried the Hamas approach, which is, hey, let's just let's terrorize the Jewish people. Maybe we'll freak them out, and they'll want to leave, and we'll get, we'll get all of the land. Well, that didn't work. Instead, they tried it a new approach. So they rebranded themselves, and they became the Palestinian Authority. In the West Bank, which is, look at how huge that is. Land for peace deals. That, look, if you were to go there now, which I'd have, and you guys have been there too, Bethlehem is in there. There's a lot of biblical sites in this. This is what's called in the Bible Samaria. That's what it is. Um, but in this huge chunk of real estate, relatively speaking, because Israel's microscopic, but in that microscopicness, there's this huge place. They have bars, clubs. They have uh, their own stock exchange, universities, hospitals. Nothing like, and they're both Palestinians, by the way. West Bank is Palestinian, and Gaza is Palestinian. But the Palestinian Authority of the West Bank said, let's just try peace with Israel. And I think what might happen during this war, just so, you don't, so we don't overreact, remember at the end of World War II, um, uh, or during World War II, America dealt with Japan because of their sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. Now, now America and Japan are strong allies. When America totally wiped out and took care of Germany, we're allies. I think with this land incursion as they're going into Gaza, and they're saying, we, we can't do this, this like, let's just be friends and ignore this approach. We've got to wipe them out. I think if they totally wipe them out, this terror attack that they live with, I was mentioning in Sunday school, could you imagine if one of you looking for a house to buy, you and your, you and your husband and wife, or wait, if, you have, if you're a husband and your wife, I'm not trying to get polygamous. You, you're looking on Zillow, oh honey, this spy is close to the Mediterranean. Well, how big is their bomb shelter? Oh, it's a 10 by 20. Okay, what's the safety room like? Yeah, it's like, it looks like it's pretty secure. Um, you know, it's got bulletproof windows and, and, and there's enough oxygen supply that if they catch our house on fire, we could, you know, we could live a few days probably. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Could you imagine? There's Christian ministries, the ministry I'm involved in, 
American Educational Development on the Board of Directors when we send supplies and projects into India. It's about digging wells for water, sanitized water, building schools for orphans, uh, you know, uh, helping out leper colonies so they can have self-sustaining economies. I just recently found out about ministries raising money for bomb shelters. They're like the steel um, containers in the back that we have. You could buy those and gift those to Israel, Israelis that don't have them because that's the kind of condition they live in all the time. Could you imagine one of your considerations for where you're going to live is based on the safety and security of, and the sufficiency of the bomb shelter because you're always under threat, imminent a threat. Why? Well, these guys could turn on them at any time. These guys are always lobbing missiles in Gaza. Lebanon has the 150,000 aimed right at them. Syria has gone through their own war. They're funded and financed by Russia and Iran. They're just enemies everywhere you look. Everywhere you look. So we, I don't think we, we live with that sort of mindset that they have to on a continuous basis. So this is a domino effect. This is a domino effect. Um, in Ezekiel 36 and verse 24, God said, oh wait, um, go back, go back. Um, go to the one, yeah, go to Ezekiel, I'm sorry. Yeah, go to the, go to the Ezekiel. So God said, and promised, he said, I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the lands and gather you into your own land. So that happened in 1948. So in order for Ezekiel 38 to happen and all these other things to happen, Israel would have to be brought back to the land. But when these future wars happen that are not in the tribulation period, but probably before it, um, there's a booty that's mentioned. And it's a pretty big booty, not going to lie. And these resources, this big old booty that, that Russia's interested in, Iran, uh, all that, let's go to this next slide. I thought this was so interesting. I had to do some research about this. And this is from Noble Energy, but there's a lot of energy companies that will do this. Evidently, so you're not going to go to Israel and get like, ooh, what kind of olive wood can I get? Ooh, I want your olive oil. That sounds like we're going to benefit so much from your olive oil. And maybe your tapestries? Um, no, not the stuff that they sell to tourists. There's this place, and you can't, maybe you can't see it, the, off the coast, and this is all Israel-sanctioned sovereign territory, territorial waters, they have found the largest, the largest gas deposit reserve in all of the world. It dwarfs Saudi Arabia and Russia, which both of their economies depend on. It, guess what it's called? And Israel named it. I don't know why, but they did. They named it Leviathan the God of chaos. God mentions him in, in to Job. Can you tame Leviathan? So there's this huge, huge reserve that is off the coast of Israel. So when you think, like, what would motivate Russia? Because it says that I will put, like, in, I will put in Gog and Magog a hook in his mouth and draw him down from the north. And this reluctant fight will happen and all of the armies will come down and all of the allies will join and then God doesn't use America by the way during this God has to take care of this 
So where is America? I think maybe it's the rapture. We're gone. And there will be an America left because not all, everyone's a Christian. But could you imagine, with 300 million people we have, let's just say 50% are Christian. Let's just say. It's probably not that high. Uh, but let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. That's 150 million people left. And we're talking generals, military, first responders, manufacturers of weapons, and all that kind of stuff. Gone. Pilots, gone. Gone, gone, gone. We're just, you could just walk in and take over whatever you want uh, in America. So God, not America, will have to defend Israel. And isn't that the plan of God anyways? You don't put your hope in chariots and horses and in princes and kings. God is curating this so that Israel would put their hope in God. The God of Israel. He's your shield. He's your buckler. He's your defender. He's your savior. So, it's a domino effect. But, when this happens, all the nations will be gathered against Israel and against Jerusalem. You ever watch baseball? America's pastime sport. Well, we'll go to the next slide. Well, these are the nations that are going to be coming down in uh, Gog and Magog. So, you ever see it where uh, Jennifer's dad... He used to pitch for the Angels, by the way. I don't know if, I don't know if you guys knew that. He's like, yeah, I used to throw 95-mile-an-hour heaters. And they won the NCAA championship when they played for Cal State Northridge. And so, old Bob Johnson, six foot four, skinny, bald-headed man, throwing 95 But if you threw a 95-mile-an-hour and you hit someone in the head or the side on purpose, because these guys are laser-guided precision, you know, when you're a professional athlete, you know what happens. All the benches clear out, and they bring out bats, and they're like, I was thinking about this illustration. I'm like, how could I come up with an illustration? And I, I'm thinking, when all the nations are gathered against Israel, and America's not there to defend them, it's like, Israel's the bad news bears. <laughs> and all of the Major League Baseball teams gather itself against Israel. They all clear their benches. So it's not just one team against one team where it's fair. It's the bad news bears Israel against all of the enemies around them. They're all clearing out the dugouts to take out Israel. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? That's the kind of threat that you live under. Not to mention the post-traumatic syndrome that you feel from World War II and the relatives that you knew that got lost uh, in that heinous act of Satan. So the, to wrap this thing up, I, well, I don't want to excite you. It's not almost done. I want to talk about anti-Semitism a little bit because no other city on the planet is more disputed than Jerusalem, but no other people group on the planet has been the source of hatred and racism and persecution like the Jews. Think about it. Even recently, when um, Hamas went into Israel and slaughtered and beheaded babies and burned them alive, by the way. Beheaded babies, burned them alive, raped the women, took hostages. Some of them were Holocaust survivors, by the way, which I think if I'm a Holocaust survivor and I just got taken captive again, I'm like, dude, I'm done. Just take me out. I don't want to do this again. Right? Just kill me here. I just don't want to fight. The, 
I've seen a long life just kind of just kill me now. I don't want to go through this whole hostage thing again. <laughs> I mean, that's terrible to say, but I just, I just wouldn't want, want to go through that. But as this was happening, hundreds in the Ira Iranian parliament were chanting hatred towards the Jews and celebrating uh, the murder and the slaughter of these innocent men, women, and children. This is a deep, historical, ancient, and dark demonic hatred that just didn't start a week ago. It's been going on. I'd say spiritually and forensically, if we're going to do like a spiritual forensic analysis on what's the spirit behind all this, the devil's fingerprints are all over anti-Semitism. The serpent hates that they're God's chosen people. He hates that God gave them, gave the world his word through them. Even the New Testament, by the way, the Old Testament for sure was the Jews. The first century church was Jewish, and all the apostles were Jewish. All the writers of the New Testament were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The devil hates that. He hates that Jesus was a Jew and he came from Israel and came to Jerusalem. He hates that God is still has a standing covenant with uh, the Jews and with Israel and that would be fulfilled in the last days. I think he's so arrogant enough that if he could just kind of get rid of the Jews, he could almost say, see, God doesn't care about Jerusalem. See, God doesn't care about the Jews. God can't keep his word. But as much as the devil hates the Jews and wants them dead, he wants Jerusalem even more. Did you hear recently that Harvard, Harvard University, heralded as the first Christian university of our nation, now ignorantly rants and chants anti-Semitic rhetoric? I saw recently a pro-Palestinian movement they're happening across the globe, but one I saw in particular, they were chanting, F the Jews, gas the Jews. I saw them doing it. Unless it was AI making people do that, you know, and it was all CGI. I mean, I saw the people ranting that, burning the, the um, Israeli flag. So this doesn't seem loving, kind, and peaceful like Jesus. It seems to me more like the devil so John 10.10 10 puts it this way. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I would love it if the Palestinians would receive Jesus, if the Hamas people would receive Jesus. Jen and I just heard this morning of a Christian that lives there. He's a Messianic Jew where he said, yeah, I've seen, I've seen Hamas fundamental radicalized terrorists receive Jesus and their attitude completely changed towards people. Where they, could you imagine leading uh, like a terrorist to Christ? Because they're blind. And that's where like praying for your enemies really makes sense. They're enemies, but they're so satanically blind, they need something, they need to get radicalized. They need to get radically converted to Jesus and they'll start looking at people peacefully and I'll say this about the nation of Israel, too. They, 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 look, their hope needs to be in Jesus, the Messiah that already came the first time for the payment of their sins. Not a temple to start killing lambs. Jesus is the lamb that came to take away the sin. So their hope is not in America, not in Benjamin Netanyahu, not in the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, not in their Samson doctrine or their nuclear capabilities but it should be in the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. 
John 14, 27 puts it this way, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, and let it not be afraid. So this supposed peace uh, that they're, they're going to try to attempt, it won't really happen. They have a false sense of peace. But this anti-Semitic rhetoric, um, it doesn't foster peace at all. It just fosters hatred, and it fuels violence. It fuels Hamas, violence, Hamas, the same Hebrew word. Hamas means violence. Violence means Hamas in the Hebrew. So having been to Israel and Jerusalem before, I could tell you that it's an intense city and a very intense place to be. Even when I was there, uh, it was years ago, but it was still, you could still feel the tension, kind of the, kind of the aura. Um, <laughs> can I say it like this? The vibe. You know, the vibe was weird. Weird vibe. I hate to be new agey, but. Um, so the Dome of the Rock. Go to the next slide, I believe. You can see all the you know, Jews and Christians that are tourists, but the Jews line up against this wall. They write little prayers. They have tables, too, by the way. Um, and they just sit there and they camp out and they're just like rock back and forth and write little Hebrew things, slide it in the wall. They're mainly like praying for peace and the Messiah to come for the first time because they don't believe he came. I was standing right here and, at, and when I was right here, um, there was a, a military procession taking place where, because it's mandatory for boys and girls when they're 18 to, to do one year of service, well, after they graduated boot camp, they were marching down in that area, and I was standing next to an Orthodox Jew, and I said, hey, what do you think about the, the Israeli military? He's like, we don't need them. And I said, really? So if you didn't have the Israeli military, would you be able to be here and pray? Because on the other side of the wall, the, the, this is where they want to build the temple, this is all Muslim side. This is dirty Gentile, unclean Gentile side on the other side. That's the obstacle they need to get rid of in order to build their temple. That's what they're really praying for. And so I asked the, the Orthodox guy, I'm like, so um, if you had no military, would you do it? He's like, no, we need the military. And I said, of course you need the military. You know, because these guys on the other side of the wall want you dead. They want you gone. They don't want peace. They want annihilation. Now, there's a quote, I misquoted it. Um, but then I got the accurate quote. My misquote was, if the Muslims would give up their weapons, there would be peace. If the Jews lay down their rifles, there would be war. But how it actually goes is, go to this Benjamin Netanyahu quote. The truth is that if Israel were to put down its arms, there would be no more Israel. If the Arabs were to put down their arms, there would be no more war. Does that make sense? Like, if Israel put down their arms, they would be slaughtered. They need a defense. But if the Arabs would put down their arms, there wouldn't be a war because Israel's not going to go and attack them because they're defenseless. They're not that type of people. It's a totally different mindset. So Jerusalem is God's prophetic super sign. It's ground zero. I want you to be aware of Jerusalem. Do not take this ancient city for granted. Keep your eye out for Damascus. According to the Bible, it's going to be wiped off the planet. And I believe God. I don't I feel bad for the people of Damascus. I hope hopefully they leave and they evacuate because 
an annihilation is coming of that ancient city, the oldest city in the world, by the way. So back to where we came, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 1. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the peoples around about, all around. And on that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the people. Remember Jesus said, and when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, know that destruction has come. It shall fall by the sword's edge and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the nations until the time of the nations is fulfilled. It happened as Jesus said in 70 AD, and they came back to the land as God said, and as God said, Jerusalem will become the focal point of all the world. All of the world. The United Nations won't know how to handle it. China won't know what to do. Russia won't know what to do. Iran just wants to get rid of it. But you know who's really interested in Jerusalem? The Antichrist. He knows this is God's city. He knows that God has linked himself to it. And he knows that in the last days they're going to build the temple again. And he knows that he wants to broker a peace treaty with the Middle East for seven years. And in the middle of it, break that in three and a half years and then cause the abomination of desolation that Jesus spoke about and that Daniel spoke about and start, he would erect an idol to himself and cause both smaller, great, richer, free, to worship him as God who sits in the throne above all gods. And so this satanic motiva- motivation for, for Jerusalem is the proxy behind the proxy. If I'm flying a drone and my drone um, has lethal capabilities and I hit a button that says launch this missile or this, whatever this is, you know. Okay, you could shoot down the drone and blame the drone, but what about the person that's flying the drone? Right? <laughs> like, is the drone your enemy or the person operating the, the drone? And that's kind of what's going on right now. We don't fight. It's not a battle of flesh and blood. It's against powers and, and spiritual powers and rulers in dark places and heavenly and wickedness and high places. There's proxies behind proxies that are motivating and zeroing in and getting closer and closer. Am I scaring you? And closer <laughs> to Jerusalem because that is the final epicenter, ground zero of where all this is going, if you believe the Bible. And I don't think it's by chance that all this is happening right now and that I'm not saying this is the end. I'm not saying this is Gog and Magog. I'm not saying this is Damascus or uh, Isaiah 17 or Psalm 83 or the time of the tribulation. I think there's, like the dominoes, Israel had to come back on the land. It's like uh, Chloe. Where is Chloe? Is she here? She wants to be a lawyer. Okay, cool. You need to graduate high school. Uh, she, needs, she wants to get a car. She sends me like pictures of cars all the time. Dad, look at this one in, in Craigslist. Look at this one. It only has 180,000 miles on it. I'm like, okay. okay. And the guy's told me it runs really good and it's never been in an accident. <laughs> okay, well, you don't even have a driver's permit. So let's go to the DMV and get your driver's permit. Let's get you on our insurance. Let's pass the driver's thing. 
then let's pass the driving test, then let's get your driver's license, then let's graduate high school, and then let's go to college, and then let's go to law school, and then this whole thing you're talking about can happen. So, yes, this war happened in the Middle East. There's other things that need to happen, right? There's just other things that need to happen. Could the church be raptured at any moment? Yep, yep. And that's going to bring me, I'm going to skip all these verses that are talking about Jerusalem and just go down to the, um, go to the one that says, that's the last one before the next, or the title slide, where it says, it has a picture of Jerusalem. Thank you. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I have dozens of verses about Jerusalem. Just do your own study. It's mentioned 830-something times in, in the Bible, Jerusalem. It's the most mentioned city in the Bible because it relates to all of human history. Anyways, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But what does all this mean for us as Christians? What are we looking for? Are we looking for a peace treaty? Are we looking for the Antichrist? No, we're looking for Jesus Christ. Our hope is not Biden. Our hope is not Trump. <coughs> our hope is not the White House. Our hope is... Jesus, he's the head of the church house. So look at this next slide. End times hope. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says for Christians, Christians, be looking for the blessed hope and the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice how the Bible calls Jesus the great God and Savior. Because he is the great I am. He is the uncreated creator. He is the creator of angels. Even the ones that rebelled and fell, they are accountable to him. And when he does come back, he just speaks, and it's the brightness and the glory of who he is that sets the record straight. So what we're looking for is not Benjamin Netanyahu to rally his war cabinet and unify his country, or for the United States and... By the way, we do have the biggest, baddest military on God's green earth. Just Google it. I do top ten militaries every once in a while. Just did recently. America's always number one. So, but but does it mean like that's the that's the hope of the world or the hope of Israel? The hope is the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He. He's the only one that could bring peace, and it will be an everlasting peace. Not as the world brings, but as the Prince of Peace brings. So what does this mean for us then as a church? I'm encouraging us to think about it this way. What if, like it says in Daniel, that in the, in the latter days, people will start getting an understanding of these things. Look, 1948 was no accident. Jerusalem's no accident. Damascus is going to be no accident. Um, so what does that mean for you as a Christian? And Jesus said, when you see these things, it's not the end yet, but you should be aware of it. It should do something towards you, or in you. It should motivate us. And here's, here's my takeaway for us. Go to the next slide. What if we became an end times influencer? <laughs> I ripped this off, by the way. The phrase, I just thought it was clever, because what if, what if we were to utilize... If we were to get a little bit more awake, you know, like, okay, it's not an accident that all of these domino pieces are being put into place. 
What does that mean for me, Lord? What can I do? What, what can we do? And it's my hope and prayer that we would be a church that is a good steward of what God has given and gifted to us. What are your, what are your spiritual gifts? How can you leverage what God has given you as a Christian, and he's been gracious to every one of you. He's given us all the free gift of eternal life. Jesus says, if you freely receive, freely give. What has he gifted you with? What, what can we do as a church? I think moving forward as a church, as we potentially get blessed financially, let's just say, what does that mean? What does that mean? Maybe... Maybe we have more of a digital footprint. Maybe we have more of an outreach. Maybe we have more of an influence. It's like um, uh, one, of the, one of the kids was asking one of my kids, hey, does this mean that the end of the world is going to happen? And their response was, well, I don't know if it is or it isn't. Do you have a relationship with God? I think that sort of attitude is going to be pop. If, we're, if all the stuff going on in the Middle East does anything for us, May it cause us to look to Jesus, the blessed hope, and to be ready to give an answer for those people that don't know what we know. You know how scary it would be if you don't know Jesus and all this stuff is happening? And you're, you're hearing like fake news and all this hyper-sensationalism about World War III and nuclear war. If you didn't know Jesus, how would that make you feel with your anxiety and depression? <laughs> would that increase it or decrease it? So people are going to have questions. And may we be an end times influencer church, understanding the day and the hour in which we live and being good stewards of it moving forward. Fair enough? Last questions, and those are just questions to go because we got to go. How can we impact our community for the cause of Christ? How can we leverage our time, our talents, and treasures in these last days? And what would it look like to be an influencer in these end times. Let's stand and, and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray if there's someone here that's never received Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the gift of eternal life, who is a person, may today be the day that they pass from death to life and cease from being an enemy to a child, a beloved son and daughter of the King. For those that are going through all the hard times in, in, in Israel and in Gaza, I pray first and foremost for their spiritual condition, that they would come to know Jesus, and for their physical condition, that, that all the casualties this, this are just so grievous on both sides, that it's just needless. Um, but I understand, Lord, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and I just pray for a, a quick end to this, whatever this is. And I pray too, Lord, that as we move forward as a church and as Christians that, that enjoy our liberties in America, that we wouldn't take it for granted, <clears throat> but that you would also give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying unto us as a church, but also that we would be able to discern the times. And so I pray for us as we move forward that we really would be an influence in these times, knowing the day, knowing the hour, and pointing people to the, the solution, which is Jesus Christ. I pray this in your name. Amen.